0: Continue here with our introduction. Brothers and sisters in Christ, I want to challenge you today to ask yourself this question Do you truly believe in the power of prayer and the presence of Christ in your life? If your answer is yes, then you must be ready to seek Him in. Every circumstance. In other words, we're not to cherry pick the kinds of things we want to bring to God, but rather we want to bring all things to God. No matter how difficult or challenging it may be, for it is in seeking Jesus that we can experience his power And presence in our lives. And find hope, peace, and strength needed to overcome any obstacles we might face. I believe it was Thomas Brooks that once said, Prayer is the golden key that unlocks the treasures of heaven. We believe that. And prayer will be of a great importance to us. We will find ourselves pulling out our keys to unlock heaven's door every chance and opportunity we get. Indeed, prayer is our direct line of communication with God, and it is through prayer that we can experience the presence and power of Christ in our lives. So let us, therefore, be encouraged to seek Jesus in every circumstance, knowing that he is with us and that he has the power to help us overcome anything that comes our way. We don't know what's going on with you and how things are going. Sometimes we share, sometimes we hold things in. We try to deal with those things ourselves. We don't always share what's going on with us. Sometimes we feel like we're a burden to someone else. And so we hold it to ourselves. And sometimes we never take it to the Lord as we ought to. So I want to encourage us to take advantage of the opportunities we have in meeting with God in prayer. so Let's pick up where we left off from last time. John chapter 6. I'm going to begin at verse 14 to help us with our context. I'm going to read to verse 21. Hear now the word of God. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this indeed is. This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat and started across the sea to Capernaum. It was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, we thank you for your word. And we know your word. You have given us giving it to us so that we might come to know you better, that we might obey your word out of a love for you, out of knowing you. Your word reminds us that when we love you, we keep your word. And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to learn how to keep your word, to to know you. We pray that you would help us, Lord, for we cannot do this on our own. We pray that your word would go out and reach us where we are. May we learn how to deal with trouble. We learn how to deal with the circumstances of life that we might face. Pray, Lord, that you would teach us now by the power of your spirit Use me, O God, as a tool in your hand. We pray that you would guide the words that I speak, Lord. We pray that your truth should govern us. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. I've entitled today's sermon, The Power of Prayer and the Presence of Christ." Seeking him in every circumstance. And I have three points. If you forget my points, remember to look at the title. It's right there in the title. It will help you to remember today's points. My points are only to assist you in following along with me for the purposes of taking notes. They're not inspired. All right, that's just to assist you. And so here are my points. Point number one, the power of prayer. Point number two, the presence of Christ. Point number three, seeking Christ in every circumstance. So Let's begin. Point number one, the power of prayer. After witnessing Jesus perform a miracle by feeding 5,000 5, people with with five loaves and a bread and two fish, the people who were present wanted to make Jesus their king. In verse 15, it states that Jesus knew what the people were thinking. He knew they had bad intentions. He was well aware. And they might not have all been bad. Uh, But they weren't according to the will of God. They wanted him to be king for their own purposes. He was well aware of that. He was well aware of what they are planning to do. We also see this in other places, such as Matthew 12, uh, 14 and 15, which reads, When Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees, it says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, Jesus, how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all. And so we see it there in verse 15. Jesus was well aware of their intentions so he removed himself from their evil plots. In John 6:14 and 15, it's describing the people's response. And in 14 and 15 it says when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, "This is indeed the prophet who is to come into the world." Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king. He withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And we remember uh, that when we see mountains in the scripture, we were reminded last time how mountains had uh, some kind of significance when it came down to meeting with God. And so oftentimes, our Lord would withdraw, he would withdraw and he would go into the mountain and he would pray. And so verses 14 and 15 refers to the reaction of the crowd after Jesus had fed them. The people were amazed. By the miracle and wanted to make Jesus their king. They were reminded of how Rome had taken over. They believed that he was the Messiah who had been prophesied in the Old Testament and that he would lead them to overthrow the Roman occupation of the land. Says we can take over this thing. However, Jesus did not want to be made king by force as he knew that his mission was not to establish an earthly kingdom, but to bring salvation to all people. That's the mission we have joined in with him. We're reminded that our war is not against flesh and blood. And so. He withdrew to a mountain by himself to pray and to avoid the people's attempts to make him their king. This verse demonstrates Jesus commitment to his mission and his understanding of the true nature of his role as the Messiah. He was not interested in political power or in leading a rebellion against the Roman authorities, but rather in preaching the message of love, of forgiveness, and of salvation to all people. So I want us to recognize that Jesus was very much aware of his father's desires And we are aware of the communion and unity between the Father and the Son. Jesus made prayer a priority according to the scriptures. He often broke away from whatever was going on in order to spend time with the Father. He valued prayer. An example of this is given to us in Luke chapter 5. If you would, let's turn there for a moment. Luke chapter 5, beginning at verse 12. There in the text it says, While he, Jesus, was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy, and when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one but go and show himself show yourself to the priests and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. Verse 16, but he would redraw to desolate places and pray. All right? So there was still good to do, but he did not neglect the necessity of prayer. And that's a reminder to us not to allow the things of this world and the things that we have to do to neglect time with God. It's so easy for us to make excuses because of the good things we need to do. It just goes to show that we are reminded to plan and to be purposeful on how we use our time. The Lord gives us an example here. And in verse 16, it tells us that he... Would withdraw to a desolate, a lonely place. In the original, the word withdraw means to steal away to lonely places. Jesus withdrew himself from the hustles and bustles of ministry to spend quality time with God the Father in prayer. And we are to follow in. The footsteps of the master teacher, and still away to a quiet place that we also might spend quality time with God. Jesus demonstrated to us the necessity of prayer in normal everyday life. In other words, we all need to have a meeting place with God. To make up our own meeting place, it could be uh, in the car, it can be in the closet, it can be anywhere you would want it to be in order to meet with God, where you can spend time with God in such a way where there are no distractions. The Lord taught us this. Prayer is a way to communicate with God and seek guidance, seek comfort, seek strength. In the Gospels, we see that Jesus himself frequently withdrew to quiet places to pray. And he taught his disciples to pray as well. They, they saw him, right? The disciples saw him praying. And what did they say? They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Right? He, he gave them examples that they can see. And can you imagine these little ones who are watching and they always see mom and dad meeting with their God? There's a sense of reverence and respect. I saw it with my dad. At night, he would steal away from the family. Dad is a two-time Vietnam vet, wounded twice in Vietnam, knew how to depend upon God when trouble was all around. And I saw that as a kid. It's amazing how things don't make sense then, but every now and then, God allows us to peek into the past. And then he begins to give it value. And he begin to make sense. And as a sense, dad would say, quiet down. Quiet down. And he would go down on his knees in prayer to God every night. See, we have the opportunities in our families to be examples before all. And we're to take full advantage of that. And so for Christians today, prayer is a way to deepen our relationship with God and to seek his will for our lives. If you want to go deep with God, go deep with him in prayer. Through prayer, we can express our gratitude for his blessings. We can confess sin. We can ask for his help in times of need. It is also a way to intercede on the behalf of others and to seek God's blessing for them. But how are we going to do that when we don't know God ourselves because we don't go to him in prayer? You see, um, when we go to God in prayer, we begin to learn of him, how he has been a blessing to us. What that's going to do is going to cause us to give praise and glory and honor. And people are going to see that. And they're going to come up to you and say, could you pray for me? Um, I'm going through something. Could you pray for me? I would appreciate it if you would pray. People would would recognize that about you. The, The more you talk about God, they're going to recognize that. And that's something we all must do. In addition, prayer is a way of aligning our hearts and minds with God, with his will to become more like Jesus. We learned in our prayer meeting that although we might pray uh, for various things on different occasions. We're not praying in a sense where it's vain. They're not vain prayer, but they're prayers of dependence. They're prayers of trust. And at the end of our prayers, we're able to say, Lord, not my will, your will be done. It shows our dependence. And so as we pray, we are transformed by the Holy Spirit and we become more compassionate. We become more loving. We become more selfless and merciful to others as well. We begin looking like Jesus. We begin acting like Jesus. And so overall, prayer is an essential part of the Christian life, and it is a way to connect with God and experience his presence and his power in our lives. But in order for us to do that, we have to be looking We have to be looking for something. We must familiarize ourselves with who he is so that when we see him working, we can say God did that. We would not share that with man. We would say all glory to the king. We see him at work in our lives. Listen to what it says Um, And we miss out on opportunities to have the things that we want in life. In Matthew 7, beginning at verse 7, the Lord Jesus says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who acts receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? This passage, Jesus is teaching his followers about the importance of persistence and faith in prayer. He's using uh, the metaphor of a child asking his father for bread or fish, highlighting that every earthly father who are flawed and imperfect know how to give good gifts to their children. Jesus argues that even if even flawed human fathers know how to give good gifts to their children, how much more will God, who is perfect and all loving, give good gifts to those who ask him in prayer? So Jesus is encouraging his followers to have confidence in prayer and to believe that God will provide for their needs if they persist in asking and seeking. The passage emphasizes the loving nature of God and his desire to provide good things for his children. And so by encouraging his followers to ask, seek, and knock, Jesus is teaching us that God is always ready And willing to hear our prayers and to answer them in his own way and time according to his will and purpose. But what we know is that God does all things well and good. And so we're encouraged to be persistent in prayer, to trust in God's loving nature, and to have faith that God will provide for our needs. Point number two, the the presence of Christ. In verse 16, it begins, When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. Thought that was interesting that they left Jesus. I ask the question, why did, they, why did they leave Jesus? But we have more information in Matthew 14, verses 22 and 33. There it states in the text, uh, uh, another rendition of the same story from Matthew's perspective. It says, immediately he, Jesus, made the disciples get into the boat And go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. And the rest of verse 17 states that while Jesus was praying, it was now dark. This is it back in John uh, 6, verse 17. And then it says, and Jesus had not yet come to them. So according to our text, Jesus and his disciples was at the Sea of Galilee. Probably somewhere near Bethsaida. Because remember, that's where Jesus healed the man that was paralyzed for 38 years. Well, that Bethesda uh, is right across from Capernaum. If you're looking at the Sea of Galilee, north of the Sea of Galilee, you have Capernaum on Capernaum on one side and then you have Bethesda on the other side. And the disciples are going to the other side. And so the Sea of Galilee is significant. It's a significant place in the Bible. It's mentioned 197 times in Holy Scripture. And it's mentioned several times throughout Jesus' ministry as well. For example, listen to the events that Jesus did at the Sea of Galilee. And this is not an exhaustive list. But I just want to mention some of the things. Uh, Jesus called four fishermen there. He preaches there. He teaches a crowd from a boat on the Sea of Galilee. He provides a miraculous catch of fish. He is followed by a large crowd. He tells the parable of the soils. He teaches the crowd with parables. He heals a deaf man in Decapolis. He heals many on the a mountain near Galilee. You see that in Matthew 15 verses 29 and 31. There it says, Jesus went from there and walked beside the sea of Galilee. And he went up on the mountain and sat down there and great crowds came bringing with them the lame, the blind, the cripple, the mute and many others. And they put, them at his feet, and he healed them, so that the crowd wondered when they saw the mute speaking, the cripple healthy, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and the people stepped back and glorified God. And I found this to be hilarious. As I was in study in scripture, every now and then I will find something that's Uh, kind of funny to me as I read the scripture. And I want to share that with you. Found this hilarious because we can all relate to someone we know that is just like Peter. Now be careful because I think we all have a little Peter in us all. Also at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus reconciles with Peter. He's trying to get him straight. He's trying to help him focus on the mission that he's calling him to. So, to see this, turn with me to John 21, and we will begin at verse 15. John 21, we're going to begin at verse 15. I don't know about you, but I found this funny to me. So follow along with me as I read the text, John 21, beginning at verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, they had just caught some fish. They was eating fish. Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Jesus is talking about the fish that Peter had just caught. He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. You know, you know, everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Get ready. Here it comes. Peter said. Turn and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, and the one who also had leaned back against them during the supper and had said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? John is talking about himself. When Peter saw him, he said, Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Peter knew John's name, and because He was told that somebody will carry him. Where you do not want to go, Peter, you will have to die and glorify God. Peter looked back and said, what about this man? (laughs) He's looking at John. Peter had just told, yeah, you know, you're going to have to die. (laughs) You're going to have someone carry you and dress you. And and Peter looked back and said, Lord, what about him? Don't don't he get a little bit of this? I just thought that was funny. But here's Jesus said to him, If it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me, Peter. We know people like that, don't we? We know we, in fact, we have a little bit of that in us all. And we see it even in our kids. When they say, why do I have to do it? What about, right? Why do you think John the Apostle is very specific in writing to us about the miracles that Jesus performed? Why do you think that it's as if he handpicked these miracles so that we would know about them? You want to know? Turn with me to John 20, couple, one chapter back. Look at verse 30 and 31. There John provides the answer for use. He states, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So you see, God is just not exercising power alone, but it's so that we might believe in him. So that we might grow In him that we might have life in his name. This passage emphasizes the importance of faith in Jesus for salvation and eternal life. The signs and miracles that Jesus performed during his earthly ministry were not simply to display power, but they were meant to demonstrate his divine nature and to point people to faith in him as the son of God and the Messiah. The passage also emphasizes the importance of the gospel of John as a written testimony to the truth of Jesus life and teachings. The gospel of John was written so that people might read and believe in Jesus and have eternal life through him. Therefore, having Jesus presence in our lives is crucial for salvation. Believing in Jesus as the Son of God and the Messiah and accepting him as our Lord and Savior is the only way to receive eternal life. And so through faith in Jesus, we can have a personal relationship with him and experience his presence in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as Jesus said in John ten ten, I have come that they may have life and have life in the full. And I like the other version too, when it says that I have come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. This is what the Lord has been saying about Himself. He has come so that we might have life and have life more abundantly. And Jesus is their life. And so if you're here today and you don't know him, believe in his name so that you might have life and be saved. And let my last point, point number three, seeking Christ in every circumstance. Let's consider verses 18 and 19 for a moment. It States in verse 18, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing Question, who do you think was behind the storm? Isn't it interesting that suddenly the Lord first sends the disciples away, and at this point, they had already rode about three or four miles. If my calculations are right, I believe from where they were to the other side across, it was about... 14 miles or something, uh, depends on where, where, you're, where you're going across. I think it was, it was 13, 14 miles from north to south, but across, it was more about eight. So if they're at about three or four miles, rolling in, that puts them at the middle, right? And then it says, at the middle, the sea became rough because a storm wind was blowing. Isn't that interesting? Now the disciples are placed in a situation where they're more vulnerable. They're in a state of total dependence of God because they know that they can and there's a possibility that they can die. What, what, do you, what should you do when you experience sudden changes in your life? What are you training yourself to do? Because in many cases we do what, what we practice, what we know to do. And so, what do you do when you experience sudden changes in your life? Do you are you practicing things that would point you to Christ to depend more upon God, even when the waters have been Troubled when your boat in life seems like it's going to tilt over? Verse 19 states: When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. Are you frightened? Are you worried about the future? you worried about the possibilities of what can happen next. Something you think about. One example of the kind of miracles Jesus performed, we see, is his authority over natural forces. For, for instance, Jesus calmed the stormy sea in Mark 4. Uh, Beginning at verse 35, he walked on the water in Matthew 14. We see it here as well. Also in John 6, what does this mean? The Lord is demonstrating his power over the forces of nature. These miracles were meant to show his divine nature. And to point people to faith in him as the son of God. So by seeking Jesus in these circumstances, we can learn more about his character, his power, and his love for us. We can be encouraged by his miracles and strengthened in our faith, knowing that we serve a God who is capable of anything and who loves us deeply. Furthermore, seeking Jesus in every circumstance helps us to see our lives and the world around us through his eyes. We can see the beauty and goodness in the world, even in the midst of difficult circumstances. And we can be filled with hope and joy, knowing that Jesus is with us and working all things for good. Romans 8, 28. So it's best to listen to Jesus in the storms of life that we might face. Jesus has omnipotent power. He does his best work when trouble arises. He shows himself mighty. He looks like a king. He looks like God. And nothing will stop the Lord from being who he is. And so we can rest in that reality that God has omnipotent power. Even over the storms, he can shut it down with the word. Because his word is efficacious, it's working. His word does not fail. When it goes out, it doesn't return to him. It does what he calls it to do, what he determined it will do. You can rest in that reality. So seeking Jesus in every circumstance of our lives, including reflecting upon his supernatural acts and miracle, helps us deepen our faith. We begin to find meaning and purpose in our lives and see the world through a lens, through his eyes, according to what the scripture says. Then we become beneficiaries of that life that he talked about. He says, I've come that you might have life. And so... We can be encouraged and strengthened by his power and love, and we can find hope and joy even in the midst of challenging, the most challenging circumstances. And so, in the most ultimate sense, who can take away our fears every time without failure? No one but God. No one but God. Jesus can take it all away, all of our fears. In the most ultimate sense, according to the scripture, because of his perfect love, power, and authority over all things. The Bible teaches us that God is love in 1 John 4, verse 8. And that perfect love, what does it do, y'all? Cast out fear. You see how it's connected? When we know that and believe that, then we can have life. Then we can live because of the love that God has shown us, the love that we're living in. We can experience what the scripture says we would have. We can appreciate the promises of God. And so because Jesus is God in human form, John 1, 1 through 14, he embodies the perfect love and has the power to overcome every fear and every anxiety. Moreover, Jesus demonstrated his power over fear and anxiety throughout his earthly ministry. He calmed the sea, the stormy sea. He healed the sick, cast out demons. All of these, he's given us examples of what he's able to do. Why are we worrying? Right? He's given us the example. He's he's healed the sick. He's cast out demons. If that's not enough, he allowed people to die. And he brought them back up again. He He did that over and over again. You remember how he slowed down his pace? With Martha and Mary, come quickly, come quickly. Jesus said, okay. (laughs) And he went slow. He made sure he was dead. And they was worried, well, ain't no need for you. You know, now he's dead. Now he probably stayed. Right? But Jesus knew what he would do. It was so that we could believe. Right? He was always working, helping and teaching his disciples that they might understand who he is. And that's the comfort that we have. Jesus promised to always be with us and to never leave us or forsake us. Matthew 28, 20, Hebrews 13, 5. No matter what we may face, he also promised to give us his peace which surpasses all understanding, and to guard our hearts and minds in him, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Ultimately, Jesus' death and resurrection conquered sin and death, which are the ultimate sources of fear and anxiety. So if he conquered that, what is our puny, little bitty problems that we bring to him? Right? So let us think about that. This gives us the confidence to face any trial or difficulty without fear, knowing that Jesus is with us and that he has already overcome the world. John 16, So what happens when we listen to Jesus? Right. We saw the disciples listen to Jesus. And he comforted them. He comforted them with six words. It is I do not. Beautiful, right? Can you imagine that when you're going through your trials and difficulty of life, if you grab hold on to that and believe that, what kind of peace you would have in the circumstances, how resolved, how you feel uh, rested and peaceful because of what God has said and has promised. So we're reminded that when we listen to Jesus and exercise faith in him, we can experience the same reassurance. And peace that the disciples did you saw that right they saw him they didn't recognize him then they heard him and then they had peace and then they invited him into the boat and he got into the boat right and they were at rest and so by following his teachings and trusting in his promises We can have confidence in the midst of difficult circumstances, knowing that he is with us and that he has power to overcome. Last two verses, listening to Jesus and exercising faith in him will continue to lead us to that reassurance, guidance, transformation, abundant life. It says, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad. You see that? They listened. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. So this passage takes place after Jesus had sent them out. In response to their fear, Jesus reassured them, telling them not to be afraid. He was revealing his identity when he said, it is I. His disciples recognized him and were willing to take him into the boat. In other words, they were exercising faith that he was who he said he was. When his disciples, disciples were afraid and struggling, he reminded them of his power and he helped them to trust him and have faith in him. So the question is, will we do the same? As Christians, we must exercise faith in Jesus in all circumstances, just as he was, just as he was with his disciples in the boat. He is with us in the midst of our struggles and challenges. And so as we follow him, we can experience the abundant life that he promised and be reassured of the eternal life that we have in him and in his name. May we receive that and live in peace. When the storms of life come, just as they were reassured of the hope that they have when they put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we can have hope and confidence and be reassured of what God have done for us and the promises that he have given us. Let us pray.